We all have goals. Isn't that the right? <laughs> That's right. All right, Community Life Church, welcome. Glad you guys are here today as we are diving into a new year. Happy New Year, right? 2021. It's exciting to be here. With a brand new year comes a brand new series, brand new thoughts. We are new series for this year. As we're going into January, we're learning through the book of Nehemiah. And so our series is called Goals, a study from Nehemiah. Now, as, as we go through this, you're going to hear a very important phrase, a very important title called a cupbearer. And I want to take a moment to kind of explain what a cupbearer is. And so if you guys at home have a cup, right, I want, you to, I want you to grab one of your cups, like grab a cup there, and somebody needs to be there with you. Somebody's going to be uh, like the cupbearer, and somebody's going to be uh, kind of like the king. And so you get to decide who gets to be the cupbearer and who gets to be the king. But basically, here's how this would work. Uh, in the Bible days, uh, they're one of the most prominent ways that a king would be kind of taken out of power by their enemies is through poisoning. And so what they would do is that they would typically have a cupbearer, someone that they had to actually trust a lot to uh, pour the wine they would go to give the king. Just for the record, this is not wine. This is for punch. Just want to make sure that we're clear on that. And so they would pour that into the cup and they would take a sip of it. And then if the cupbearer lasted right there for a few seconds, then guess what? They'd be okay. And then they would pass it on to the king. And that's what a cupbearer did. So now here, I want you to kind of act this out. Somebody there that has the cup, the drink, I want you to take a drink of it, right? And if you don't die, I want you to pass it on to somebody and you just got to be a cupbearer. Now, when I was reading this, you know, especially over the years as a kid, I would look at this and I would say, oh man, a cupbearer, that must have been a really rough job. It must have been like a bad job because they had to drink and eat stuff that could have been poisoned to actually like try to take out the king. But then the cupbearer would actually be the one that ends up dying from it. Like That, that must have been a bad job. But in reality, it was a pretty comfy job because they were oftentimes the second most influential person in the kingdom right there next to the king because of that job. It was more of a comfy job outside of a little bit of that concern that you might die. But nonetheless, uh, being a cupbearer was a pretty important big deal. Today, we're going to be learning through the book of Nehemiah, and we're learning the big idea, big difficulties can inspire God-sized goals. We're going to learn how there was a difficulty, how Nehemiah responded to that difficulty, and then on top of that, what was the response? Like, what actually happened? How he did that? And when he's learning through this story, he's going to, he's probably going to have a little bit of this thought that's going to introduce the sermon title for today, and the title simply is, That Stinks. You ever have that conversation with somebody and they tell you some really bad news and then you go, man, like you really feel bad, but your response is, that stinks. And that's kind of a moment that Nehemiah had today. And we're going to talk about that as we get into Nehemiah chapter one and a couple verses in chapter two. Now, I intentionally did not put the, uh, the scripture passages all written out on the screen today because I want you to grab your Bible. I want you to grab your Bible and I want you to open it up to the book of Nehemiah. 
I know it's probably not a book that you have frequented, so you might have to go to the table of contents. Totally good. It's right after, here, let me help you out. Right after Ezra, right? Right after Second Chronicles. So go in there in the Old Testament, pull up Nehemiah. You can do that on your Bible app. You can actually go on your Bible app, BibleGateway.com, pull up the passage in whatever translation you have there, whatever you prefer to read through, and then we're going to walk through that together. While you're opening up your Bibles and getting your apps together, then I want to give you a little history. Because in order to understand Nehemiah, we need to understand the book that comes right before Nehemiah called Ezra. Now, in the earlier documents of, of Scripture writing, Ezra and Nehemiah were actually one document together. More modern translations would take those and split those into two. But if you're going to understand where Nehemiah is starting from, you have to kind of understand what Ezra was talking about. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. Now, there's a few words that will sum up all of Nehemiah. All of Nehemiah can be summed up with the idea of rebuilding, which is rebuilding what's been torn down, this restoring or restoration of what sin has actually destroyed. Repenting would be the third word of our part in it, because the reality, anytime there's something going on with sin, the humans, yeah, did something wrong. The people did something wrong. There was disobedience and repenting is key to it all. And of course, this idea of returning to God. Now, in Ezra, at, at the time, the beginning of Ezra, we learn that uh, Cyrus, who's the king of Persia at the time, is actually commissioned by the Lord to make sure that the temple in Jerusalem is restored. Now, we've learned from different studies that uh, the Babylonians went in and destroyed Jerusalem at this point in time, somewhere around 50 years prior to that. And so Cyrus was actually saying, you know what? Anybody, any Jews, any of the Israelites that live there, you are now encouraged to go back there and restore the temple. So when Ezra is actually talking about the restoration, the restoring, the rebuilding, if you will, of the temple in Jerusalem, where Nehemiah is actually talking about building the wall, rebuilding the wall around the entire city. And so we're going to kind of see how those work together. So in Ezra, we know that the king uh, Cyrus said, hey, go take care of the temple and, um, and, and get things going there. We do know that at some point, at some level, I should say, Nehemiah has just always been in captivity. We don't know exactly if he ended up there when, everything, when everybody was exiled or his age necessarily, but it's possible, because uh, Scripture doesn't really indicate that, it's possible that he's just always been there, which is interesting that he's always been there. And yet what an amazing reaction he had when he hears that his homeland, right, of his ancestors is not doing so well. So here we are, Ezra, the king says, hey, go take care of the temple. We come into the beginning of Nehemiah, and Nehemiah, one of his brothers, or his brother comes from uh, Jerusalem with some of their friends and actually uh, gives like, like a visit, gives like a visit to Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is interested on in what's going on. And so he asks the question, when you haven't seen somebody in a while, you want to know how are things going? And so Nehemiah asks this very important question to him. It's a very important question to him. And he says, so how's everything going over there? And his brothers gave him a report that would cause anybody to say, man, that stinks. That's not good. And they begin to answer, things are not going well for those who return to the, to the province of Judah. This is chapter one, verse three. Things are not going well. 
Things are not going well. They are in great trouble and disgrace. Those two words are very key to this whole concept of what we're talking about here. So in your maybe NIV or New Living Translation, you're going to see the words trouble and disgrace. I want you to underline those words. Underline those words because we're going to see why those are so important and why they're both uh, significant. In the English Standard Version, you're going to see the words trouble and shame. In the, New, in the King James Version, you may see the words affliction and reproach. And in the New American Standard, the NASB, as someone would refer to it as, translation, you'll see the words distress and disgrace. So no matter what translation, whatever words they place there, the idea is that I want you to underline both of those words, basically meaning trouble and disgrace. They go on to say that the wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. So that you're asking, how are things going? It's not good, man. They they just came from there. Because again, earlier in Ezra, we learned that they were sent there. They were encouraged to go back. They were there. Ezra had a job and Nehemiah had a job. He was with the king, King Artaxerxes at this point in time. And he's been building this relationship with him. And God is about to use that relationship that Nehemiah has been so faithful in and so trustworthy toward to do something incredible. So when he heard this, he had an interesting response. Now, when we hear bad news, we oftentimes will just jump to, okay, so how do we fix it? Okay, so that's bad news. What do we do? I do this and I don't want to do this. It's like Paul saying, the things that I don't want to do, I do. And the things that I want to do, I don't do. And I have this idea that, yeah, I want to pray every time that I hear bad news or I hear, God, I, need, I know I need God's help, but I'm a work in progress, right? And so many of us just want to jump into the fix it. We want to jump into the, okay, so there's a problem. Let's talk through it. But Nehemiah does a very interesting thing here that actually shows the heart that he has for God. So in the, in the verse number four, he says, when I heard this, this is Nehemiah, right? His memoirs here. When I heard this, I sat down and I wept. You've heard some rough news. I know a dear family to ours uh, lost their grandpa, uh, husband and father uh, to COVID over the past week. That's bad news. And you know what? We may need to sit down and just weep. We chose to just take a moment and pray over the family. We chose to just go right to the Lord in that prayer. How are you handling it? You might just need to sit down and weep. Have you ever had that moment where you're like, man, I just need to cry. I just need to cry. So you'll play a sad song maybe, or you'll even watch a sad movie because you know this one's gonna trigger the tears. And so you just need to cry. And there's nothing wrong with that. We often find that crying is, is, is a level of weakness. No, God showed me years ago that, I mean, I'm just, I'm a weeper by nature. Uh, when my mom, my mom's a lot like that. So I get that from her. So if I get excited about something, I can get teary-eyed. When I get sad about something, I get teary When I When I get like, right, I can get teary-eyed. It doesn't matter. It just happens. And I used to think that was kind of a weakness, but actually there's a level of strength that comes from that because I acknowledge through my tears, I can't do this on my own. And so here's what Nehemiah is saying. He's sitting down and he's just weeping. He's just receiving the news. He's receiving it. In fact, it says for days, continuing in verse four, I mourned, I fasted, and I prayed to the God of heaven. For days. 
He was sad for days. We don't want to go an hour. We want to actually push those, uh, those feelings aside. We just want to be like, well, nothing I can do about it. I'm just going to move on. Because we don't like those feelings of mourning. In fact, that's one of the most unique things about us humans is that we, can't, we don't process the hurt very well. In fact, our hurt typically goes immediately to anger because we're trying to process it ourselves. But he rests there. Maybe he kind of went into anger as well within his mourning, but he simply mourned. He received this bad news and he fasted and he prayed. Somebody here right now needs to hear that you don't need to wait on a corporate church focus to actually fast and pray. In fact, uh, biblical fasting talks about how it's just between you and God. In fact, I'll go a step further that we're taught in Scripture to not even tell anybody that you're fasting. You should wash your face and clean yourself so it doesn't even look like you're fasting. In the Bible days, there are many people, and even today, they would talk about how, oh, I'm fasting, and oh, is the Lord, and, and that's about you if you do that. And that's not the goal. You may need just to fast and pray right now over this last year and just mourn that loss and let the Lord really do some healing. So he continues on and he's praying here. And this is a fantastic, amazing prayer that really astonishes me with how, how close he really is to understanding how God is supreme and Nehemiah is not, how much he really needs the Lord. So he's praying here. He's mourning, he's fasting, and he's praying, Oh Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Now that's not a pep talk that God needs. He never needs us to come to him and say, you're doing a great job. Keep going, big guy. You got this. He never, ever needs us to do that. He is perfectly complete and whole, the three in one, as we sang about today. He doesn't need that from us. We need to be the ones to give it to him because that's how we acknowledge in humility that it's not on our own power. He says, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. I confess that I have sinned against you. Man, right out of the gate, he's going, listen, you're the, you're the God and I'm not. You are God, the one true God. I just want to start with, I'm sorry, I confess. Even I think it's deeper than an apology. When you confess and acknowledge, I did this, there's a level of apology that it kind of comes with that, but it's bigger and deeper than an apology. You're saying, I have sinned against you. He's seeking forgiveness here. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Now, that even that idea of, of, of disobeying or not obeying, uh, like terribly sinning, the reality is if you sin, that's terrible, right? That's when you sin. And so we want to say things like, well, at least I'm not as bad as they are. Well, at least I haven't done it like they have. Well, at least I haven't. No, no, no. If you, you know what? The reality is it's not a matter of if you sin, it's that you sinned. And so that's why we need a savior because we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so acknowledging it right here, I confess that I have sinned. I confess that my family has sinned by not obeying you. And so he's just laying it out there right there through this mourning and this fasting and this conversation and prayer. Please remember what you've told your servant Moses. 
If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, I will and live by them. Then even I, then even if you are exiled to the end of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. So the Israelites were exiled. And in Ezra, they had come, and they had come back. Many of them had come back, but not all of them. And so here's a, just another moment. Maybe even a pleading that Nehemiah is, you know, are you calling me there too? Who knows what he was thinking, who he was saying. We know what he was saying, but who knows the motivation behind it other than, man, God, I just want to honor you. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. I'm asking you for favor. God, will you please help the king help the king see favor towards me? Put it into his heart to be kind to me. You see, he did not rely on his relationship. Nehemiah was incredibly trustworthy. The king trusted him. That's why for years he was actually the cupbearer where he would actually drink and eat and then give it to the king. Lots of trust, lots of appreciation there. And yet Nehemiah did not rely on what he did with his relationship. He just simply relied on the Lord. Oftentimes we'll say, well, you know what? We should be good. I got a relationship. Oh, I've been working hard on that one. Oh, I've got this or it's going to be. No, no, no. He just relied on the Lord. God, would you please allow him to show favor on me? He just trusted God entirely. It's not on our power. It's entirely on his. We need to rest on the power of the spirit of God. And then he he wraps up chapter one by saying in those days, I was the king's cupbearer. So there's that relationship of have the king show favor. How's he going to show favor? Well, here's my position currently. I was the king's cupbearer. So it's interesting. Like Nehemiah's trustworthy behavior and attitude, God was able to use in a remarkable way. And here's what he did. In chapter two, it continues on where in the day of King, king Artaxerxes in his, during his reign, uh, Nehemiah says he was serving his wine. And because he, his, his demeanor was so downcast, as some translation would say, or in this, it simply says he was sad. He was just, he was so sad he looked sick. And the king knew Nehemiah enough to know that, hey, this is not normal. He's never been sad in the presence or appeared to be sad in the presence of the king before. So the king Artaxerxes says, bro, right? He said, I think that's what he said. I truly think he said, bro, what's wrong with you? What is going on with you? You are, you are down and you're making me sad. So help me understand what's going on here. And, I, and, and so he replies, how can I not be sad when I find out that the, the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire? How can I not be sad? And so I love this line from King Artaxerxes. It reminds me of the TV show, New Amsterdam, on the pilot season, the, the, the new doctor, the head doctor comes on the scene and he's asking some questions. And he says the phrase that King Artaxerxes says, and I love this phrase so much. He says, how can I help? And I try to use this as a mantra for myself as well to say, okay, so we've got this stuff going on. How can I help? What do you need from me? What can we do to make this happen? And there starts the favor that Nehemiah prayed for. Now it's possible that he already had a level of favor somehow, some way over that time. So it wasn't 
Our God is a timeless God. Our God is always present, then, here, uh, later, right, always, uh, always there. So his prayer did not limit God to that moment. God knew he was going to pray that, and God knew what he was going to do, so it's possible that God had been working on this favor this whole time. But in our humanity, we say, God, is there any way that you can do that now? And God, clear, you know what? I got you. I've been working on this, actually. We've been working together on this, and God has used that relationship. So he says, how can I help? Nehemiah says, if it pleases you, would you send me to go rebuild this city? Will you send me? And the king so favorably agrees. Now, Nehemiah had a big goal inspired by a big problem. He saw this problem, and if you look at goals, Typically, I'm not aware of any, maybe you could correct me on this, but I'm not aware of any goals that don't have a level of a big problem associated with them. Well, I want to read, like, like I want to read a book a month this year. I, I've done that before. Um, I, I went about halfway through a year and I was doing really good. And then I allowed myself to kind of fall off again. So I want to read a book, a book a month and just kind of process through some of that information. And maybe that's too audacious of a, audacious of a goal, but Nonetheless, that's kind of what I want to do there. But the problem is, is that I'm, I'm not reading enough, right? And so I need to read in order to grow. And so I want to read more, right? I, I've learned that a leader is a reader. And so I want to be able to keep that, keep that thought. But when you have a goal, it's typically because there's a big problem. Now, here's the big problem. Here's the big problem. Remember those two words that I had you underline? In, in my translation of New Living uh, Translation, the word trouble and disgrace Here's why this is such a big problem. Here's why it's such a big deal. Without walls, God's people would be vulnerable to another attack, which is probably a reason why many people have not gone back and they have not really fully settled there. They're just trying to simply be rebuilding. Remember, the people that were there before Nehemiah were rebuilding the temple. So they were exposed with this broken wall. So the practical element of the fact that they were vulnerable to another attack, trouble. But the disgrace comes that there is also a spiritual problem. The city of Jerusalem was deeply connected to the Jewish people's relationship with God. Rebuilding the walls would be a way for them to honor God. And they needed to honor God because they had not been honoring God. So this was, in Nehemiah's heart, was to see all of Israel come back and honor God. And this would be a great start right here to honor God by taking part in rebuilding of this wall. Uh, but leaving them in shambles would actually be a sin against God. And so he's, 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 he's longing to actually show honor to God, and he wants others to honor him as well. Nehemiah wanted to see the whole nation of Israel turn back to God. So he set a God-sized goal. Finding a way to rebuild, start, solve the problem, started in prayer, and sought the Lord. Nehemiah's God-sized goals was exactly that. And we can follow this practice as well. We can follow the practice that his goal began with a difficulty. You don't have to look long and hard to find a difficulty in the world. You don't. You don't have to look very long. We just came out of a difficulty, right? We're still in a difficulty. You, you are still dealing with difficulty. So it's not hard to find a difficulty. But I think what you need to find out more than anything is what really matters to you. What really matters to you? There's a difficulty there that you can deal with. Discipleship matters to me because the difficulty is, is that 
I have not done a strong job of discipling and leading in that way. And so I have been working with the Lord to raise up people. And it's amazing when you literally, when you realize that the church of Jesus really is not my church, but Jesus's church. And he wants to raise people up how he should choose. And he gives us the opportunity. He's raising up couples, individuals to lead in this discipleship effort. Because the trouble is too many, all, all too many churches have, um, are housing converts rather than growing disciples. And so if you just want a whole bunch of baby Christians, that's what you're going to lead. That's what you're going to be with. That's what you're going to be around. But that was never the goal. The goal was for us to not just have milk as a child, but to move on to solid food, like the meat of the word. We're supposed to move on to that, which means you and I need to grow beyond being a child in the faith. We actually need to grow to be a parent. That's a difficulty. That's a difficulty. What matters to you? You'll find a difficulty. I'm passionate about you knowing who you are in Christ because the difficulty is too many people live as though they don't know it. That's a difficulty. No more baby Christians, but together we will grow. That's a difficulty because many people have not been growing. What difficulty are you experiencing? Is it mental health, finances, relationship, tension? Think about it. Has, your, has, your, has COVID stretched and uh, stressed out your relationships? Well, of course it has, because Facebook and social media platforms, Instagram, and I'm sure even TikTok, because people are getting real close in there, is that we, we, we used to look at social media platforms and we would look and be like, oh man, look what they're doing, how fun, and maybe even feel a little jealous, like, oh man, I wish I was doing that. Pinterest is good for that one, right? Comparing their Pinterest picture to your raw footage, that's always a bad idea. But what we have going on right now is social media platforms are, are actually developing levels of judgmentalism because people are looking on these pictures and the first thing that we're thinking now is they're too close. Oh, they're not six feet apart. Oh, they don't even have masks on. What do you mean? They're not being safe. I don't understand. And so we're just, we're just throwing this judgmental behavior at people and they don't even know it. And so then our relationships almost get the knees cut out from underneath them and it's just happening and nobody's intentional about changing it. That's a difficulty. So if your relationship has been stressed, reconnect somehow. There's a guy in my life that I just hadn't talked to in a while and I wanted to reconnect with him at some level. I kind of thought he was frustrated with me and I didn't know why. Um, I had some ideas. So I started talking to him. Hey, how's it going? And uh, we started talking, no big deal. So we just needed to reconnect. We just needed to reconnect. And that's what you need to do with somebody. You could totally pull the whole, it's not you, it's me thing, but do COVID. It's not you, it's COVID, right? Like I'm just trying to manage this the best I can. There are no guidelines for managing a pandemic. Like there's no guidelines. No one alive today was dealing with 1918. And so we're trying to process all this stuff and we're trying to do it the best we can. Your careful looks different than my careful. So I'm not gonna judge you for your careful. I'm, I may need to keep my distance. So let's not judge each other for our distance. Let's encourage each other with our distance. You can still be around people and just be honest. You know what? I'm not going to do that right now. Okay, all good. But be loving and encouraging because that's a difficulty. That's a difficulty and we need to manage it well. So we find a difficulty. Now his goal also began with prayer. Saw the difficulty. That's not hard to find. But then instead of trying to fix it, he went right into prayer. Right into prayer time with the Lord 
and, and just relax, relax moment with him. And I don't mean relax in the sense of ease, but like just a peaceful moment. As Nehemiah wept, he also fasted and prayed. He didn't just live in his mourning. He didn't just squalor and, oh, I'm so sad, right? He was sad, but then while he was sad, he went to the source that could take care of it all, which was fasting and prayer uh, towards God. He knew that his goal was so big that he couldn't do it by himself. I'm sure at some level while he was mourning, he was processing, what can I do to help, right? The king was showing him that. And he's going, what can I do to help? And he's saying, God, what, you know, I acknowledge I can't do this on my own. And he's praying and he's, so even in his prayer, he had something going on in his mind because he was asking God for favor through the king. So it was almost like, okay, I think I know what I want to ask but I'm gonna talk to you about it, God. We need to go to God quickly and often. His goal began with prayer. His goal began with God's help. Now that's a tough one. It's one thing to be like, okay, I see the difficulty. God, what do you mean to do about it? God says, here, go do this. And then you go, well, that's kind of hard. Well, I don't know that I wanna do that because then that means that I'm gonna have to like lose this. I don't know that I wanna, right? So then listen to what God says, follow through send that email, send that card, make that phone call, make that donation. Whatever God is calling you to do, just do it. Just do it. We, we waste so much time debating. Like you're going to negotiate with the Lord. Oh God, okay, I see what you're doing here. I'd like to raise, your, I'd like to raise it, this, and, and call you. And the, the Lord is trying to guide us and lead us into the next step. And we need to work with him and jump on board with what he's doing rather than just simply asking him to do, uh, be a part of what we're doing. So here's, here's this difficulty. Big difficulties can inspire God-sized goals. I have a God-sized goal. I want to see everybody that calls Community Life Church their home church, like their family. I want to see them experience uh, the life journey Map. I want to see them experience and understand where they are so that they can make a decision definitively on where they want to be. Let me show you this map. I want to show you this map here, uh, this life journey map that we have. Um, I, I have been uh, just impressed by this. Some friends of mine in Michigan at a life church up there have put this together over the better part or over a decade. And so incredible leaders, pastors that have been praying over this and developing this. You can see this life journey as it's on your screen there. And you can see that it kind of encompasses everybody's response to the gospel. And I say it that way because you have some people, everybody starts off spiritually dead, but if they don't respond to the gospel in a way that actually receives the gospel, then they stay there. But just to give you an aerial view, like a 30,000 feet aerial view of what this looks like, once somebody receives Christ as Savior and repents of their sins, you see, then they go from death to life, which is where the infant comes in. Nobody was, nobody other than Adam and Eve, as far as we know, has ever been born like grown up. So you don't have that to be able to say, well, you know what, when I got saved, I was probably already a young adult. No, not going to happen. But we, we go from death to life. But we start with um, being infants. 
where you're kind of sharing your life and sharing truth and habits, things of that nature. And then we want to grow from infants into a child. It's just like your physical development where you go from life, uh, where you go from an infant life to a child life, where you're connecting to God's family, connect to God, uh, connect to God's purpose. So here's what I'm going to tell you. If you are only watching a church service online and you're not connecting and you're not doing anything else as far as like discipleship, there's a strong probability that you are still stuck between infant and child. You may think that you're closer to a parent, but unless you were actually influencing a level of culture or influencing someone else, disciples leading disciples, then you're most likely closer to an infant and a child. I had to come to the realization that I'm going, man, I think for a very long time, and I even had the hard time praying through God, God, am I still a child? Am I still stuck in this trying to connect? Am I still stuck? Do I even have like this uh, holistic healing? Do I even, am I part of the mission? I don't care my position. I care about my, my relationship with the Lord. And so where am I? And I want to see everybody walk through this with me and see where you are. Now, this doesn't mean that we have a monopoly on the corner of discipleship because of this map, but it's a good indicator to see where you are. If you are not confident in your faith, if you have not become the mission instead of trying to be a consumer and take from the mission, if you do have not been really growing and becoming whole, right, holistic um, in, your, in, your, in your journey with God, um, then guess what? You're probably not a young adult yet. That is not a shaming thing. That is simply a revealing thing. We do know that big difficulties can inspire God-sized goals. Big difficulties can inspire God-sized goals. The difficulty is, is that many have not been growing. They have been maintaining at best. So the difficulty is you're not growing. The God-sized goal is you're going to grow because that is a big deal to no longer be conformed to the pattern of this world and culture, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's a God-sized goal. That's why the only one that was able to be the perfect sacrifice was, was Emmanuel, God with us in the form of the Messiah, Jesus. It's a God-sized goal. Big difficulties can inspire God-sized goals. Do you want to grow? Or do you want to just keep watching the church rather than being the church? All too long, I think I've been watching. I think I have. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to really be the church. And that's why we say at the end of every service, now go and be the church. And we're going to learn through that this month. What does it actually mean? I've had somebody say, what does that mean? We're going to talk through that. So be patient. Wait upon the Lord and we'll learn together. So what's our next steps? Well, we've already kind of shared them a lot, but I'm going to kind of give you a very simple, simplified way of looking at this, okay? Here's our next steps. Look for the difficulty. Look for the difficulty. Begin with prayer, right? Because the difficulty, we're just wired to automatically go there. So don't feel bad or shamed that you automatically start trying to fix the issue. There's nothing wrong with that, but you need to immediately just, okay, difficulty, go into prayer. You can see even how Nehemiah did that. So begin with prayer. God, 
here's where we're at. What do, you, what do you want to have happen here? And then allow God's help. Listen, listen. I say that to my kids sometimes. Will you just listen? Just listen to what God has to say and do it. Listen and do it. And when you do that, it's amazing what you'll be able to do when you see that difficulty and you see that God-sized goal come into view. Wow. Then, I believe then, you're really being the church. So let's pray together about that. Heavenly Father, as we've just learned through, wow, Nehemiah, and a little bit of Ezra here, your word, your breath, the Holy Scriptures, a guide, our Bible. Thank you for these words. Thank you that we can rely on them. Thank you that we can trust them, not because of what they are, but because of who they came from. And so we trust these because they really are your Uh, This is your living word, your very breath. And so we just receive this right now. We receive Nehemiah, how we can find difficulty, we can pray, and then we can allow your help. And by allowing, it's not that we control you, but it's more receiving. So maybe we should say, I'm going to receive your help. I'm going to actually receive it. I'm not going to try to push you off and reject you and do my thing because I think it's better. I'm I'm just going to trust you. You know what, God, I'm going to trust you even if it's not popular to trust you. I'm going to trust you even if it's not flashy to trust you. I'm just going to trust you, God. Thank you for this word. Please guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, we've had many people sign up for the Temple Challenge. This is an amazing opportunity for us to grow ourselves physically and spiritually. Physical exercise, right, is of little benefit, but there is some. uh, But spiritual exercise is where it's at. Great benefit, great wisdom comes from that. So sign up for the Temple Challenge. I did not know this when we put this together, but I love how God is always at work. God did a thing here that just blew my mind when I finally understood. Yeah, that's right. I didn't even understand it as it was coming together, but I knew God was in it. So listen to this. Um, I've had the conversation with a couple people, just little side conversations of, okay, so we're doing a study of Nehemiah on Sunday morning. Um, But then we're going to do the temple challenge and we're going to read through the book of Acts. Like, why couldn't we have just picked one? Well, there's a guide that I, that I follow within our Sunday morning time, and I really wanted to adhere to that. We were already prepped for that, and I wanted our team to really be able to focus, not have a whole lot of change, right? So I just sat on what I, the decision that I had made on that. And then I really wanted us to, to read through 28 days. So God, give me a book with 28 chapters. He gave us the book of Acts, because there's actually two books with 28 chapters, but he said, here, read the book of Acts. And I was like, All right. So the conversation is, well, why didn't you just do one? I don't know. But now this makes sense. Nehemiah, Ezra, Nehemiah, this one book now into two, is talking about the building of the old temple, building of the old, where Acts is going to be teaching us about building of the new temple, the old temple, the old way, right? But Jesus comes on the scene that we just celebrated, and we're going to be reading through the book of Acts, which is super cool because Acts was written by Luke, who wrote the book of Luke. And didn't we just come out of reading? 24 chapters in December. I'm telling you, God is doing something, and I'm so excited to be on board with what he's doing. And I invite you to be on board as well. 
Will you uh, stand where you are? Or anybody that's in here, stand with me. Receive the blessing of the Lord as we uh, kind of end the service today. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Now go and be the church.